0: Hello and welcome to Swing Stories. My name is James Dupney. Today we continue The Last of the Tudor Kings. The story of Roy Regal, William Regal, Steve Regal. At this point, Steve Regal, as we left him in WCW. And we see how his journey moves forward. Opponent on my left in the blue corner at 18 years of age. And starting with one fall in his favour. Ladies and gentlemen, will you welcome from Blackpool, Roy Regal. He aimed for the WCW TV title defeating Ricky Steamboat, and many credits with his new lease of life in the company. At Fall Brawl in 1993, the first reign would last for 225 days. He would in this time have that match that I talked about with Dave Boy Smith in his last episode of the series. He would also have an elongated TV feud with Ric Flair, rather bizarrely under Mount Evans rules. The series was a career highlight, helping to get his style over with the American crowd. His companion for this series would be the then WCW executive Bill Dundee. The former Memphis top drawer had begun working for the company in a backstage capacity, and Dusty Rose had originally earmarked Larry Zabisco for the role, but Bill lobbied successfully for the job and was perfectly placed to help work interference for the rising star. It was somewhat ironic then that it would be Zabisco taking a break in from retirement, commentary and an airline pilot duty for WCW, who would be the man to take the belt from him on May 2, 1994. Those matches were not exactly state-of-the-art clinics in map perfection, despite the highly qualified individuals involved. They were, though, prime examples of how to work a crowd. Editor's side note here. Since then, I have discovered that Larry Zabisco actually did these to show the guys in the locker room how to put a match together, because in WCW, there was an over-under rule on the clotheslines that the production team would take bets on, and they were sick of seeing clotheslines. So Larry Zabisco, who was working commentary at the time, decided to do one match to make them all look a bit more about how to put a match together. Anyway, back to our story. They were, though, prime examples in how to work a crowd. Working on a 15 minute time lit draw as traditional for the TV title matches at the time. Sabisco and Regal would stall and bluster their matches for the opening five minutes, barely touching each other, but getting the crowd on the edge of their seats before proceeding. It gave Regal a chance to shine and be something different, and the main name of any wrestler, to stand out. Moving further on in his single career, he had a match with Antonio Noki that was another technical clinic, though somewhat at odds with the WCW crowds had come to expect. It was an old school, straight out Wigan mat based contest. Wiggins heel heat keeping the match alive for the fans, but just barely. Inoku was way past his prime, and in this countdown to retirement, as he was now a senator in the Japanese diet, he clearly had his mind elsewhere. It stood him in good stead with New Japan, though, and he was offered a shot at Shinya Hashimoto's IWGP title in 1995. His first world title shot for any arena-filling company anywhere in the world. After a running tag team competition that really put his name on the map with WCW fans, which I will get to momentarily, he returned to the feuding for the TV title pinning Lex Luger in Dalton, Georgia for the belt in August of 1996. He would hold the belt for 181 days this time, an eon in the Monday Night era of pro wrestling for a secondary title. He would eventually drop the belt to Prince Iyakea in February '97 before regaining it to fellow appreciator of Lankrestian wrestlers, Ultimo Dragon. Dragon once told me in an interview that his favourite British wrestler was the Dynamite Kid, so this match must have been a career ambition for him as well. It turned into a longer series with the Dragon taking the title back in July. It was his tag team days in WCW that really drew attention to what he was doing. He began his first team with Jean-Paul Levesque, the very soon-to-be Hunter Hurst Helmsley, who many forget had a short run in WCW before the irregular payoffs drove him north as soon as an offer came in. Though Regal was happy to see his friend go on to the permanently employed, it left him partnerless. So while figuring out what to do next, he saw Bobby Eaton sitting in the bleachers at centre stage and his mind clicked. The Blue Bloods were born. After an impromptu tag match based on the fact that Levesque had no-showed, Regal took Eden under his wing in a promo that was inspired as it was funny. A true Pygmalion fashion, Regal began training Eden, the Alabama boy, in being a British snob with pretty hilarious results. They also hit the Power Plant, WCW's wrestling school run by Buddy Lee Parker. There, with the aid of Arn Anderson, they set about becoming a proper tag team. Regal began working the mic much better, and with the help of Tony Schiavone, he spent a lot of time in the TV studio perfecting his technique and using his storytelling prowess learned from his love of comedy trying to get his character over as a kind of carry-on wrestling episode in miniature. He was soon joined by old friend and fellow standout British heavyweight squire David Taylor, turning the Blue Bloods into a faction. One of his most memorable quotes at the time being, Do you know what my New Year's resolution is going to be? To wake up half an hour earlier so I can hate you even more. As has been the regal way, he surveyed what was around him, took on board all the advice he could from the best people in the vicinity, and built his character according to circumstances. It is an abject lesson in how to get over for any wrestler. While it is sometimes perplexing to wrestling fans as to why veterans hang around for so long, this was a case of why it is so important to have one or two of them on your roster. It's also one of the reasons why certain wrestlers, Spud and EC3 spring to mind, have improved leaps and bounds in short periods of time because they have stopped, looked and learned from the right people at the right time. He returned to familiar territory in a nominal face turn when WCW hired Dave Finley. Attacking Regal at a TV taping in center stage, Dave brought some old school British style to Regal and it fell right at home. Well, up until Dave smashed his face with a forearm on their first TV match together, legitimately putting him out for several weeks and setting him a long series that would be Regal's swan song. Unfortunately for him, things were about to take a major turn for the worse. Nagging injuries meant he began to take pain medication, which became an addiction, and his run came to an end in WCW. And as his run came to an end in WCW, he got a call to try out for WWE. His last match of note in WCW was with Goldberg, which was a bit of a disaster by accounts on both sides and being told to be, have a competitive match. Not hard, Goldberg had been trained by Dave Finley and so despite their disparate backgrounds, they had a good fit together. He later found out he had been told one thing when someone else was expecting a squash and so his tenure with the company came to a mutually agreed split in the spring of 1998. He signed with WWE, taking in a Dory Funk Junior Dojo to get back into ring shape and then promptly twist his ankle and broke his leg. The continued battle with painkillers did not help, nor did this real man's man's gimmick cooked up by Vince Russo. Taking the professional route, much the same as his close friends Mick Foley and Steve Austin, he took the gimmick on the chin and decided to get over in his own way. But sadly, he wasn't well placed mentally to achieve this, and was let go in April of 1999. After being humbled in such a manner, he took his rehab stint well and took hold of himself to return to WCW and prove his worth. He began by being a competitor in the Hardcore Invitation on Bash of the Beach, forming a new faction with Dave Finlay, Dave Taylor and himself. Though not a rerun of the Blue Bloods, it was hard not to see it as a continuing story. The three of them have been the premier British wrestlers and brawlers of the preceding 10 years and developed their styles alongside each other. They knit very well as a unit and wrestled the filthy animals Jimmy Hart's first family. In WCW's faction-obsessed periods, they looked for the next NWO. Having seen that it was ready for return and producing the results they wanted, WWE offered him another job and he would lose a retirement match against Jim Duggan in February 2000 to seal his return to WWE next two years would be a whirlwind of events as the nature of wrestling changed and Regal was a man to keep up with the times. And that's where we'll leave the last of the Tudor Kings for today. You can find us on The Troopany Show on Facebook and at Patreon where you can keep us free forever for everyone. On Twitter it's Troopany Show and I'm Sheriff Lone Star. You, you can find our sponsors in the Empire Magazine on Twitter as well, as well as powerslam.tv. If you use our code MULLETWATCH you'll get a free month. Music by Sheriff Lone Star and the deputies of the Heartbreak. You can find them at bankamp forward slash Jerry